This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? I'm Chris Skoll, joined by Josh Widdicombe. Hello. And some say he knows what mid-90s Ipswich sponsor Thyssen's actually do. <laughs> Others claim he has quietly amassed the largest private collection of Richard Key's hand hair in the world. It's Michael Marden. Hello. Did you, when researching those uh, Bon Mots... Uh, did you look what Fissions did do? No, I still oh. don't know. No, uh, any I, ideas? I, sorry, I wish I did know, but I don't. I no. don't. Hello at quicklykevin.com <laughs> if you work for Fissions. If you've got that kind of stuff, I'd say that is the first time I'm going to say that even that is too dull for us. <laughs> uh, before we get into correspondence, I think we should say there's going to be a third live date. Yes. Exciting. And it's not going to be in London. Yes. Not so exciting for me. <laughs> no, uh, no. we did promise that we wouldn't do one in London. So we're doing on um, May the 3rd, 2018. So that's next May. Thursday uh, night, you probably know. Thursday night, the big one. The new Friday. <laughs> Just so you know, by the way, as an aside, I've got to tell this story before okay. we move on. Then I'll come back to the live date. Okay. I got a car yesterday to um, a TV thing, and um, the driver had just done... He'd just driven Jose Mourinho the night before. Oh, wow. We had a long discussion about Jose Mourinho. All good. Jose Mourinho came out of it very well, including a great anecdote in which Jose Mourinho hid behind a bar and then threw mints at him and hid behind the bar again. <laughs> anyway, this guy then claimed that he was in the Charlton youth team with Richard Goff and uh, Paul Walsh and then made the most insane claim I've ever heard. He said, he told a 10-minute anecdote that climaxed with the fact that he himself had invented the celebration where footballers skid on their knees. No. <laughs> you, can't, you, can't claim, you can't be claiming that. 
invented the question mark. <laughs> and he was like, I don't know why I did it, but I just slid. And it was the first time. What, what, do you know his name? What was the driver's no, name? No, I didn't know his name. Why didn't I know Sean something? As you can't be because um, Jose Mourinho couldn't get his uh, name right. If any of the listeners can disprove Sean <laughs> with some video evidence of, you know, a 1960s footballer sliding after a goal celebration, please let us know. I think it's fair to say that celebrations in the 60s and 70s are so naive, almost embarrassing. When you see Bobby Charlton score a goal in black and white, just throws his arms in the air and just yeah. jumps, hops on his, on his toes like a child in the playground. I feel like celebrations have gone up and then come down. Obviously, oh, they really? peaked in the 90s. Yeah. I think, I think that the high watermark was Roger Miller and the sharp shuffle, Lee Sharp's... Um, Oh, too too um, flamboyant for me. Do you remember um, when Paul Ince and Ryan Giggs had a little kind of hand slapping thing they used yeah. to do? Yeah, yeah I, didn't, I didn't like that either. I keep it simple. Shearer for me, just I hand up in the air. Dark. I always always yeah. Shearer over this, the park, yeah. celebrating with Shearer, and then then putting your hand in the bush like they're fans, high five them on the way past. <laughs> so sorry, let's cut down to brass tacks. We are doing a live date in Manchester in May. It is going on sale on general sale on uh, Monday the 6th of November that is next Monday but if you want to get a pre-sale link uh, join our mailing list and that will be sent out at 10am on Friday November 3rd to sign up for the mailing list just go to quicklykevin.com fill in your details off you go you'll get the link Thursday May the 3rd at the Lowry Theatre in Manchester not the big room we're not insane the 450 right correspondence yes please I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Post Bag. You've got mail. Okay, guys, it's time for a new feature. A few weeks ago, we had an email from Michael Foster, who claims to have once owned James Beatty's Latin textbook. And on that note, I'd like to bring you this new feature, which I'm calling James Beatty's Latin textbook. Beatty, nice try! Oh, it's a lovely goal! It's a lovely goal by James Beatty. Hold on, then. That was textbook. Mark Wally. Last night, my mate Dave called me excitedly after listening to the Mark Lawrence episode, which annoyed me because I've only just finished Ian Dowie, where it was asked, what kind of school did James Beatty go to where he learned Latin? The answer is, <laughs> my school. Yes! yes. Dave was keen to point out that he had James Beatty's geography textbook. I had his maths one. So what? my question is this. Are there enough listeners out there to work out exactly what GCSEs James Beatty took? Thank you very much. That's Mark and Dave. All right. We've got a second email. This section, which is called James Beatty's textbook, has multiple emails. No. The second one is from Lloyd Thomas. It's more of a theory. Upon hearing Michael Foster's email regarding James Beatty's Latin textbook, I couldn't help but wonder whether Michael might unfortunately, have been the subject of a cruel schoolboy prank. Oh. Growing up a Tottenham fan in Bristol, I was extremely excited to start a secondary school whose sole former footballing star was... Gary, Gary Mabber. Gary Mabber. colliding. Yes, from Bristol. I he started in Bristol at Bristol Rovers. He ended doing a painting store with the Andrex <laughs> dog, right? In one of my first history lessons, I was passed a very old textbook which had G. Mabber etched oh, in pencil on, on the inside cover. What? Hey. The name had been smudged and the book certainly looked like it had been in circulation for the previous 20 years. I excitedly told my dad that evening, but he did not share my enthusiasm. He explained, I was more than likely the victim of a schoolboy prank. 
I went back to school and over the coming years received dozens of different textbooks with G. Mabbott on the inside cover. <laughs> Either Gary was incredibly diligent when it came to homework or my father was right. Over the coming years, my friends and I proceeded to continue the tradition. I hope those textbooks are still in rotation today. Do you know there's various options that could have happened with that story? See, number one is that they were all real and Gary Mabbott is some kind of territorial graffiti artist. <laughs> He's the Banksy of his generation. Well, where's Banksy from? Bristol. Bristol. Oh, <laughs> come on! Hello. He was at that Dulux paint shop picking up spray cans of paint. <laughs> Do you know it's also true that um, Gary Pallister's the masked magician from uh, <laughs> Magic Secrets <laughs> Revealed? Um, before we move on too far... You wouldn't want to get low on sugar halfway through a graffiti, would you? <laughs> Desperately eating a flapjack as he attempts to Just... finish his satirisation of the Iraq War. <laughs> okay. All right. At long last, we have an email that makes reference to Lee Sharp's fan club. Oh, yes, please. I'd have loved to have been in that. Well, I think we're all about to join. This email <laughs> is from Jem Shellard. During the 90s, when I was 14, I was part of the Lee Sharp fan club, run by his mum, Gail. Members paid £10 in exchange for a cassette every three months, where Lee provided an update on his life at Manchester United. Astonishing. So far, Do so you just well. imagine him sitting with his dictaphone, just speaking into it? And also, I mean, not to sort of bore people with the logistics, but... Let's say, for argument's sake, there are a hundred members of the Lee Shop fan club. How are they duplicating? Is he reading it a hundred times, or does he? No, have, he's not he reading it every time. Gail, Gail Sharp is with the uh, J- the JVC. She's there late pressing, the She's got tape to tape. She's, she's got tape to tape. She's pressing play and record. Yeah, like you hit play on. <laughs> you hit play in deck A and record and play in deck B. <laughs> Kicking um, herself when she realised she's just pressed record and not the play as well. <laughs> I've just recorded the blank one over the Lee Shark. <laughs> um, the highlight came when all members were invited to the Lee Sharp fan club birthday barbecue in a nightclub in Manchester. <laughs> oh, oh yes! Now, wow! Uh, you know when you like you're trying this to picture is already a thing. A you're trying to picture a thing. A barbecue in a nightclub in the day. <laughs> As she says, it was an afternoon bash that saw Lee launch his new clothing range. <laughs> what? <laughs> while his brother, this isn't true, sure. While his brother John, who played at Man City, ran the barbecue out back. This is oh, like a cheese John. dream, isn't it? <laughs> like, you know when you get a really feverish, feverish, weird dream? I don't remember John Sharp. After enjoying a hot dog, members were given a free t-shirt and queued for Lee and John's autographs. I mean... Queuing for John's autograph. He's just doing it to be nice. Out of politeness. <laughs> Poor John. Why is he having to go through those motions? Years later, after his performance on Celebrity John, John would do his autograph with the ketchup bottle. I <laughs> know. <laughs> <laughs> not dog. <laughs> uh, years later, after his performance on Celebrity Love Island, I took that T-shirt to Waterstone's autobiography signing and asked if he would sign it again. As a week after the barbecue, my mum had washed the T-shirt and with it, the autographs. Wow, imagine seeing that T-shirt. So, cut back to Waterstone. 20 years and just kind of pondering on your missed potential. (laughs) So here we go, 20 years later, Lee Sharp's re-signing this shirt from the the barbecue. He laughed, posed for a photo and said, typical Lee Sharp quality merchandise. A thoroughly nice chap. Best wow. chair So it is true. It's a real thing. Yeah. And, and she sent in a picture of the shirt. Oh, wow. Look at that. Picture of Lee Sharp in a chef's hat <laughs> with a skewer with some meat on it. 
and a DKNY USA jumper on. And what does it say below it? I've sizzled with shot. <laughs> and it says it in, remember like Microsoft Publisher when you do yeah. the old word art? Yeah. So is that part of his new clothes range? Because if you hadn't been to the barbecue, that would be an insane item to try and sell. <laughs> so are you ready for my idea that I'm going to pitch you as a regular feature? Yeah. We need Lee Sharp to resurrect the cassette messages on this podcast. Can we reach out to Lee Sharp and get him to leave us a regular 30-second message? Just send us to us on WhatsApp or something that we can play out to find out what Lee Sharp's been up to this week. Next week, Marlon Harewood will be doing his 30-second message. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to say, if Jem does have the cassette still, please oh, send it yeah, to us. Or I'd if any member that. of the Lee Sharp fan club has yeah. a copy of that cassette, oh my God. I will pay if serious money. Why are you using the past tense to refer to the Lee Sharp fan club? <laughs> if you're still in it, yeah. are you still getting these tapes? Send them in. Thank you sent one last week. Shall we do football on social media? Yes, please. When the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. Thank you. Now, don't worry, we are coming to Neville Southall. <laughs> I'm fully aware that Neville Southall's Twitter feed is superb. Um, I don't want to be doing sub-features, but uh, last time we we talked about Gavin Peacock's Twitter, last time we talked about how he was doing these kind of fire and brimstone biblical tweets, the former Chelsea midfielder Gavin Peacock, I don't think you want, want you to think we were quoting him out of context. So each week, we're just going to read his latest one in a feature we called The Wrath of Peacock. I played professional football in the UK for teams like Chelsea and, and Newcastle United and then the Lord powerfully called me to ministry. You know what the most endangered species in our day is? Men. Men. I was thinking about this coming over on the plane, thinking about, you know, South Africa and the, you know, the national parks and going to see all the different animals. And I was thinking, you know, the most endangered species of our day, men. At G Peacock 8, five hours ago. A husband is the head of his wife. Woe to him if he abuses his leadership. Woe to him if he will not use his leadership. Why is he so obsessed with husbands and wives? He's got a fractious relationship with his wife. (laughs) It's so obvious, isn't it? I love the idea that Peacock and Mrs Peacock um, have an argument. And he storms off, goes straight on Twitter <laughs> and rants about how husbands and wives should relate to each other. Mrs. Peacock 8 on Twitter is saying, yeah. like, a real a religious husband should be very kind to his wife. <laughs> right, Harry Redknapp, are you aware that he's uh, done something weird on Twitter? This no. is unbelievable. This is brilliant. So, Harry Redknapp, at Redknapp, he got in early. Um, Louise and Jamie, livid. Um... Quite boring Twitter. There's a picture of him in a sailor's hat that's quite fun. Apart from that, there's not much going on. right? And then, out of nowhere, on the 12th of October, Harry Redknapp, at Redknapp, tweeted, Proper excited by mobile cryptocurrency. <laughs> I'm in. Get involved. What? So it's like, I don't understand this stuff. I'm out of my depth. It's like a kind of Bitcoin. It's like yeah, Bitcoin, kind of. right. But, so then, people thought, well, Harry Redknapp's been paid to do this. So... These guys 
basically had to come out and state that they hadn't paid Redknapp to do it. He'd done this off his own back. There's no need for Harry Redknapp to have tweeted this. Absolutely. Out of nowhere. Read out the tweet from Electronium. Harry has bought some Electronium and isn't being paid for this. He's excited, as are the other 70,000 Electronium buyers so far. Smiley wow. face. Smiley face. I mean... And then, I went on it today, he's deleted the tweet. So I don't know what's happened. God. Well, I have a theory. If he isn't being paid, which you assume he's not if they've come out and no. said that, allegedly, Harry, you know... You can't, you can't say, say that. that. <laughs> right. Just so you know, listeners, we've had to edit out Michael's theory. <laughs> you might have heard a large beep there. Yeah. What Stop saying, it! Stop it! He's got... There we go. That's, that second bleep there was even more stuff. Um, there goes but that's Harry funny. Redknapp. Harry Redknapp has got a reputation as a wheeler dealer. Which I know he doesn't like that. But now he's wheeling and dealing in cryptocurrency. It really is the future. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how many of those 70,000 others are Nico Crankyard. <laughs> Marco Bugas. <laughs> Actually, that's the, the, his turnover of playing staff at Portsmouth. <laughs> right. Before we come on to the interview, honestly, this week, we've had so much good correspondence. We're so sorry for the yeah. amazing, amazing emails we haven't read out. It's getting better and better, and we really enjoy receiving everyone, yeah. and it's such I a shame that there's so many we can't there. read out. Please keep sending. We will yeah. get through them. We will get right Yeah. Through. Get ready for a four-hour <laughs> special at some point when we just work our way back through. Do but you, please keep them coming, because they're great. If you want to get in touch with the show, here's how you can do it. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin. And sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Now then, on Quickly Kevin, it's time for another ITV broadcaster, the anchor of the ITV World Cup 1994. This was genuinely the most kind of emotionally involved I've been in an interview we've had. Um, if you're not aware of Matt Lorenzo, Matt Lorenzo was ITV's main anchor for World Cup 94. He was head-to-head with Des Lynham at the biggest tournament for the two, one of the two biggest channels. And we thought we were just talking to him about this tournament, and there is so much more to it than that. Soccer from the States, now on YTV as we round up the latest highlights from the World Cup 94.
Our guest this week was the first sports presenter on Sky Sports when it launched in 1989 and ITV's face of the 1994 World Cup. He's worked for every major terrestrial broadcaster, also written for newspapers including The Times, The Guardian, his father Peter Lorenzo, former head of sport at the BBC. For many in London during the 90s, he was the face of sport on London Tonight. Welcome to Quickly Kevin, Big West Ham fan, Matt Lorenzo. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. I like how Big West Ham fans just put in right in the air. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't in my version of the script. <laughs> um, your dad was a sports journalist. He so, was. So was this career destined for you? Was this always... Yeah, I, I, I have every sympathy for people who don't know what they want to be. Uh, but I, I always knew because I used to follow him around. He was the first um, commentator on ITV. Oh, wow. uh, a show called Star Soccer. And uh, the sports editor was Billy Wright. And amongst my earliest memories of being in the back of Billy Wright's Merck, going from ground to ground, and I would kneel behind my dad as he did the commentary, occasionally wow. correcting him. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, from you know day one. So you were you surrounded by footballers. It must have felt normal. When it was someone like George Best, for example, who I met in the bowels of Stamford Bridge when I was about 10, I was awestruck then. Yeah. Um, and I, I met, uh, you know, I did this film on, on Bobby Moore, which was born out of the fact that he was my dad's mate and he would come around for a cup of tea <laughs> or, or lunch at my house. And so there I am sitting there with, you know, the World Cup winning captain who was teaching me how to play football <laughs> and failing. Were you any good? No. <coughs> That's why yeah. you're doing this. <laughs> That's exactly. how we're all I I'm a hypocrite. I just talk about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so what's like the career trajectory for a sports journalist how how did it work back then well you know back in victorian times when i was doing it, you, you went to the local paper and then local radio i was doing lbc when i was 18 you know every 15 minutes they had a, an update so i would do that then i went to bbc local radio didn't like southampton much came back to work oh. on match of the day as a producer and i was the world's worst producer but that was my way in so i did six years of producing when i really wanted to be a reporter and I was working on the Olympics in the basement at Television Centre and uh, the head of sport, Jonathan Martin, came up one night and introduced himself to everybody and, and came up to me and said, hello Malcolm, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> I've been here six years, I thought. So that, <laughs> that was my cue to so move on. So how did you get in front of the camera then? By accident. Uh, I, I used to work mainly on, because they farmed me out for a matter of the day, on, on sport on breakfast time. And I used to moan all night long. Uh, saying I could do that, I could do that, I could do that without actually doing anything. And a, a lovely Scottish woman called um, Susan Donald, the Scott Viler as she was known, got <laughs> sick of this and Sky had just started and she filled out an application form and forged my signature. Oh wow. And that's how I got an interview and three weeks later I was on the telly. So it was complete wow. accident. Wow. So the early days of Sky Sports, well I've got West Ham written down, we'll come back. <laughs> we will. <laughs> we will. Uh, Early days of Sky Sports, you were the first presenter on Sky what, what was the first programme on Sky Sports? It wasn't Sky Sports, it was um, Sky when it came out, it was mm. just Sky News. Right. And there was a sort of sports channel and there were film channels. So I was the sports presenter on Sky News. I did the uh, breakfast show with a Penny Smith yeah. and a hero called Bob Friend, who you probably don't remember. Did it feel like this is going to be a big thing? No. <laughs> <laughs> I remember... Uh, Bob bringing me up um, because we joined I think in December and the satellite had to go up the rocket had to go up and it went up and Bob rang me and said you heard about the satellite I said what because it's got up there and he was furious because he would have got a year's money for doing nothing 
So they actually had to fire the satellite up there. Yeah, the Astra satellite went up after we'd signed our contracts, and then on February, <laughs> in February '89, it all started. Yeah, and uh, it was great fun. All startups are great fun, but we got away with a lot more than people do nowadays because we were reassured by the fact that no one was looking <laughs> um, so Josh and I quite rightly have a ban on talking too much about West Ham on Plymouth but luckily today you're a West Ham fan which gives me licence to ask you some West Ham based questions yeah. so the 90s obviously we had some rotten players I wondered who sticks out for you as being memorable um, uh, Harry um, Harry picked a few didn't he yeah. um, I, 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 I sort of get um, I could talk about other scenes but I get the old rose-tinted final. I don't like to think about bad ones too much. I, I prefer to talk about bad team, bad players from other teams. Do you find it difficult when you're covering sport to be fair to all teams? No, not really. I, I, I've always said that when commentators, and you've had a few in here, say, I don't have a, a favourite team, they're, at, they're talking rubbish. Yeah, yeah. Nobody likes football that doesn't have a favourite team. So... Why not? I've got a favourite team, and luckily it's West Ham, so it doesn't really cause offence. <laughs> Very rarely. Yeah, Jim Rosenthal, who was Oxford, it never came up in his career, really. Well, they, I think some of them pick lower-ranking teams, if you like. I think Martin yeah. uh, Tyler lays claim... No, Motti lays claim to Barnett, because he knows he's never really going to get in trouble. <laughs> and I think uh, Tyler's always going about Walton casuals or something. Anyway... Do you, have you got the inside track on who they actually sport? Know, your own little support, theories? Yeah, but you're not getting me on that one. Oh, really? <laughs> You've only given me one beer. <laughs> Stick around. <laughs> um, so then Champions League, you start doing a bit of Champions League. Yeah, it's all boys' own stuff, really. So I'd gone from not being recognised by my boss in 1988 to 1993. I'm, I'm starting up ITV's Champions League coverage. So they plucked me from the local show to do that. ITV sports stuff and it was um, yeah it didn't last long but uh, it was what, fun while it what lasted were the, who were the pundits that you were with on those first games uh, I had uh, Ray Wilkins quite a lot yeah. um, and uh, I remember when we went to the World Cup which was an unmitigated disaster not all my fault um, and Don Howe who was a lovely lovely human being but you know maybe not the best guest and Dennis Law who I'll never forget um, Columbia that I'm winging it again they were playing Columbia wherever it was and I said at half time the old anchors question, rhyming slang. So, what do you think uh, the Colombian manager is saying to his team at half time, Dennis? And Dennis went, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm thinking, there's 16 million people watching it. I'm, I'm dying. I said, I don't know, because I don't speak Spanish, <laughs> which he thought was hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah, that didn't we'll, go well. We'll come to yeah. the World Cup. So, you start on the Champions League, Manu every week. Mm. <laughs> Bored of that? <laughs> no, I've got a connection with Manu, so I actually, I, I've got a soft spot for them, and I was actually very well welcomed by them. And I would stand by this that they are, once you get past all the glitz and the chrome, literally in their case, because the director's room actually leads onto the old wooden panelled boardroom where I was very warmly welcomed because through my dad I knew Bobby Charlton since I was a kid. Again, he would go on holiday with us. But the significant thing is I was. This is. I'm 37 years old, so you can do your maths. In 1958, <laughs> there was that awful air crash. Yeah. And my dad was on the first plane out afterwards, and he knew Busby, but um, he got to know him a lot better. He, he borrowed a coat and a stethoscope and got into his hospital room and stayed with him till he came home. So there was a real wow. bond there. So that happened in February 58. And in July 58, something marvellous happened, and I arrived on this uh. earth. 
and my uh, Catholic grandmother went to her grave thinking I'd been named after an apostle, but I hadn't. I'd been named after a football manager. <laughs> no way! And since then, there's all I can. You know, it sounds arrogant, but it ain't arrogant. I, I can go to that club without a ticket and uh, get welcomed. Really? Well, I could up until recently. Well, they're taking away some of Busby's uh, chair. Yeah, they? That's what he's had lifetime. So tickets. maybe that family atmosphere is, is dissolved <laughs> yeah. somewhat. Well, you're back in the away end. So. Can I just go back on some? What was Bobby Charlton like on holiday? Fine. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, I was, what, 13, 14? He was very friendly. They were all very friendly. What does Bobby Charlton wear on the beach? I can't remember. Is I, it, I, is you're he... not going to dig me out on that one. <laughs> Here's the real test. Is he putting sun cream on that head? Because that is a tacit acknowledgement of the hair. I, I wouldn't wouldn't like to comment. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, that's the privilege. And I, yeah. I did sort of take that as normal. My dad would say at the end of every football season to my mum, right, that's it, the football season's over. It's you, me and the kids. And year after year, we would arrive somewhere. Within 24 hours, he'd have met Bobby Moore, Bobby Charlton, Alan Murray. How did how did he wrangle that though? Because surely he, your like lying. your mum is yeah. So what would he say? Well, they all did the same thing. They you know they were they all arranged to meet, and then they all gave their wives pretty much the same spiel. And then the wives would just get together, and the the men would be together, and you know 13 year olds would be just hanging around the blokes. It was <laughs> so it would just be oh look Bobby Moore's here. What yeah, the chance is that? Yeah. <laughs> Chances. <laughs> Let's throw the luck. <laughs> you also hosted Champions League draws. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I didn't for ITV. I did um, for UEFA. I went to Athens to host. Um, what are those events like? Terrifying. Really? It was in my case. Yeah, I arrived, um, and apparently every Wednesday in Athens, the students had a, a riot, and it was almost like it was on the timetable. So we got tear gassed on the way there. And then I did the rehearsal, which is quite complicated, with autocue, and I'd written the script for it. And then uh, Platini comes up and says, uh, no, no, we don't need that. This is 10 minutes before. He said, no, you don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need that. Ripped up the script. And I had oh to God. literally wing it. Um, wow. And it wasn't great, because you think you're getting away with it. And I thought I had. And then you watch it back, and you don't notice the errs. I don't know if you've noticed that. when. Right, you don't yeah. hear the errs. It's like people who say, you know what I mean. They don't hear themselves saying that. Yeah. Uh, I was erring for Great Britain there. Anyway, right. I only did one. <laughs> <laughs> so you met Platini. Did you ever meet Blatter? Yes. Yeah. I, I, like? I met Blatter a few times. Um, I used to work for SoccerX, uh, the global business of football conference. And he used to go to the do's. And I got an interview. Do you remember when uh, Rio got into a spot of bother for missing a drugs Ooh. test? And uh, I'm interviewing him, and I, I mentioned, and I, I, what do you think about Rio um, playing for Manchester United while he's still under this um, cloud or whatever? He said, uh, he is not playing for Manchester United. I said, no, he is. He played last night. Said, if he is playing for Manchester United, I will dox him the points from every game in which he plays. And this is it. This is a fantastic scoop. And I got that the back pages everywhere. And I worked out afterwards that he'd known all along that Rio Ferdinand had been playing in these games, but he was just getting himself a headline, which he was really. Yeah, was he kind of charming? And could you see yeah. how he created? He was, kind of... yeah, really? he was very charming. I mean, I, there was another time when I hosted uh, the oldest club in football, Sheffield FC. They had their 150th anniversary, so there was a big do at Sheffield, and Blatter came over for it because it was a big. He thought it was a big thing, so to give him his due, he, he recognised events like that. Mm. And afterwards, we're walking back to the hotel, just me and the greatest power in football, you know. 
and uh, the holiday in. <laughs> he goes, would you like a drink? I said, yeah, yeah. So we go into the bar and the bar's empty, bar two rather matronly middle-aged women who were on gin and tonics and he was transformed. He was dancing around, hello ladies, can I buy you a drink? Blah, 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 blah. What? Wow. All over him. I mean, I'm, you know, I don't suppose he's going to sue me now. And, uh, <laughs> he's got bigger problems. But yeah, this is the guy that, he was yeah. chairman of the Stockings and Suspenders Club, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. And he said that women footballers should wear tighter shorts. Yeah. And did the women know who, who he was? I don't think they had a clue. Did he drop it in? Sit on the head of feet. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a big deal. Yeah, of course you are, mate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't remember. Going through the numbers on his phone. <laughs> um, well, back FIFA back then. Well, did did you get a suspicion that something might be awry with the kind of organisation? Uh, I think so. Um, you could tell that he was. Um, how can I put it? A politician. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's talk to you about World Cup '94. A great tournament. No. Yes, I think it was. I think it gets underrated because England weren't there. Uh, possibly. And you know, it's the most successful World Cup there's ever been. Really? Commercially, yeah. There were more people watched that World Cup in stadia than any, the, the Americans made a profit. So, because you were out there. So, wh- when we watched it here, we presume the Americans weren't that interested. What was the atmosphere like? Was there a, a World Cup international tournament atmosphere? Well, it's difficult because one of the big failings of that World Cup um, it was known as the bunker in Dallas, so they flew us all mm. out there, yeah. and we went to the international broadcast centre. We were in a studio, which could have been in Waterloo. Yeah, um, you had no idea where we were, uh, and we were in Dallas, so it was only a group, a, a host. But I went to a couple of games, and the Americans couldn't work out why they couldn't get up and get a hamburger after ten minutes. That sitting still for forty-five minutes was really difficult. I mean, I know you've asked me that, but I want to get this yeah. one in because. Of all the stories I've ever or experienced, this was my favourite ever. So Dennis and I, Dennis was there on holiday. He was having a great time. Dennis Law? Yeah, quipping, you know, when he should have been yeah. giving me serious answers to questions. <laughs> and we were by the pool, in this lovely hotel, so we were lying by the pool, just, you know, chilling. And these two Irish lads came running past us across the lawn, dived into the pool with all the shirts, bobble hats, whatever, swam up to the swim up bar and ordered a couple of pints. So I turned to Dennis and said, Dennis, Ireland aren't in this group, are they? Tell me if I've missed something, but they're not playing here. He says, nope. I said, well, what are you doing? He said, I don't know, you know, typical. So said, yeah. He couldn't swim. So I dived into the <laughs> pool and swam up and said, oh, lads, oh, Matalones, how are you going? Because at that time, people knew who I was. I said, well, never mind saying hello, Matt. We want to know what you're doing here, because Ireland aren't in this group. And they said, well, there's a long story there, Matt. You see, the thing is, airline tickets in Ireland are very, very expensive. But they were a lot cheaper before the draw. So we bought our tickets before the draw, and we just guessed. (laughs) And we guessed every city wrong. You get, why did you end up in Dallas? Why not New York or LA? Or? It wasn't, wasn't my decision. I think that's where the Americans have put this international broadcast centre, so it made logistical sense. But, we, you know... And it was did, just a room with no windows yeah. in Dallas. And it got... There was crazy things, crazy things going on because we, you know, Dennis and I were doing our fair share of sunbathing and they were moaning back at base that we were looking too well. <laughs> what do they want? I don't know. I mean, it didn't look like we were in Waterloo, so the makeup girl had to put chalk dust on us. 
I know, and we ended up looking like the monsters. It was just, this, this is all true. And luckily the internet didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, and I was getting slated. I mean, I, I think ITV do get slated in comparison to BBC. Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, I was getting, for one reason or another, I hold my hands up, I was getting properly done. And I remember, because I'd just come from the BBC, I'd been at the BBC three, four years ago, and I knew everybody at the BBC. I didn't know many people at ITV. So before the World Cup, they had a party, and I went to theirs, not ours. You went to the BBC one? Yeah, because I knew everybody. Yeah. yeah. Didn't go down too well. And Desmond, who I knew, oh. and he's the best there's ever been, as far as I'm concerned, said, Matt, come here. And he took me to one side, and he said, listen, Sunbeam, uh, you're working for some people who I don't like. He put it in stronger words than that. I said, I know. So well, just watch out for them. And secondly, people like The Sun will have a poll every game, and they'll put me up against you, and I'm going to win. <laughs> not not being in an arrogant yeah, yeah, way, yeah, but yeah. I'm just warning you that this sort yeah. of thing will go on. And I said, thanks, Des. Thanks for the heads up. And as I say, thank God there was no Twitter or social media because yeah. I was getting properly done. Giles Smith, who I've yet to meet, and I think he's a very <laughs> funny writer, wrote, not since JFK has someone died as horribly in Dallas. <laughs> um, was that things conspiring against you? Like, before you went out there, did you know what you were going into? The, the media bunk? The, the media bunk? bunk. Well, I'd sort of, I'd use this term, I'd winged it that far and no one seemed to have spotted me oh. in the two years or, in, you know, whether well, 10 years previously. But the World Cup was a huge deal and I think they got it terribly wrong by putting us in a bunker. I don't think some of the people working on it, not my mates, my mates on the shop floor, no, I wouldn't be talking about them, but some of the people in authority could have been a lot better. And I, as I said before, I was hired for this wing it thing. Yeah. And they gave me scripts. Right. And it, it's not so easy when you're stuck on autocue. But I mean, I've, I've watched the coverage today. Like there's clips on YouTube, you can watch it. You're, you're fine. You're great. It, I think it's fine. Yeah, I, was I, watching, think, I think you're being self-effaced. Yeah, no, like no, it's absolutely, really, no. the, only, the only criticism I'd level it, maybe yeah, the studio, you can't tell you're in Dallas. And obviously the pundits are, are weird choices. Yeah. But like this coverage stands up today. Well, it's still my proudest achievement. I put, uh, I am the youngest ever host. Yeah, 35. Because I am. It's great when you're the front man and you get the money and you get the acclaim and people give you tables in restaurants. But the other side of it is it is a bitchy business. And I remember I had no idea that all this had gone so badly. So I get called back in. Because oh, you're over there. Yeah. And I get called back in by the boss, the guy that arranged the whole production. And he said, uh, sorry, mate, you're out. What? They told me you weren't very good, and I should have listened to them. And you're out. And, and what are you going to do now? Your career's finished. Whoa! And I, you know, I'm, the times I've replayed that one and thought, why didn't I just thump you and go out? But, so in oh. a way, he said, going on, Mayor Culper is. I did come back. I didn't come back to host the World Cup, but I, you know, I carried on. So yeah, like admirably. No, I, I can't believe I can't believe the guy said that. Oh yeah, and what's more, they had a party for 250 people who'd worked on the World Cup, and I wasn't invited. Oh man, oh. bad car. That's bad karma. So when you bad. look at World Cup '94, do you look at it with positivity or negativity? Well, positivity because no one's done it since, and it was an achievement, and just. It's one of those things, you know, maybe I, I, I do think to myself that if I said to them, no, I'm not ready or yeah. send someone else or but you never, no one does that, do they? You grab it and go. When they it. told you you were going, were you surprised? Well, leaving. No, going oh. to the World Cup. Um, well, the whole thing was a surprise. It was a bit of a dream. Like I say, I've been working the VT machines three or four years previously. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah I did I did think well blimey I, I can't do anything wrong but it's like I say it's a, it's a bitchy business who else yeah. was in the mix to go uh, instead of me I don't G- know who Jim Rosenthal well I think they me? could have had Jim yeah. um, but I, I think when he was on your show he said I'm, I did well to swerve that and yeah. um, he's dead right do you think yeah. if England had got there they'd have approached it in a different way I don't really know all I, all I know to sort of comfort myself is that uh, until Adrian Childs came along they only had won a World Cup no one lasted more than one World Cup even mm. Des um, right. so maybe it's more them than me yeah, yeah I don't know. Um, big games you did England uh, Ireland Italy yeah you, you covered you covered that pundits from Dallas law, from Dallas <laughs> <laughs> so what were the games that were in Dallas uh, Sweden were there, from what I remember. Brazil were there, oh, were they? And I, I, see, my memory—it's one of those periods. I think it must be a, a biological thing. You just draw a veil, <laughs> and if if I if I remembered the detail, I'd be even more bitter and twisted. <laughs> I'm trying not to be. I'm sorry, yeah. that we it out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's, it's quite cathartic. I, I didn't realise anything. But like watching the clips back, I, I think it really does stand up. But well, you're you're probably too young to remember it, aren't you? Well, I vaguely remember it, but I jog my memory. I went on, this all on YouTube. You can go and like watch the coverage. Right. right. No, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like the, the bad decisions aren't you? They're they they're pretty. Like, why are they stuck well, in a bunker? Like I, I mean, say, you've got to look up the chain and go. The thing is that you're you're at the front, so you get all those privileges. But at the same time, you do become you, the scapegoat. Yeah. Did you um? Who the other pundits, so they were Ray Wilkins, Dennis Law. Did you all just think it was going swimmingly out there? Um, I didn't think it was as bad as it was. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, Ron Atkinson was uh, another pundit. He was great fun. We yeah, went to see, uh, went to South Fork. Um, you know, you can look around JR's mansion and we, yeah. were, we couldn't get him out of there because we realised <laughs> for Ron, this was Ron's world. It wasn't <laughs> What other like did you go on like daily jaunts then? Yeah, we well because there are only games every couple of days, so we uh, had the ITV expense bill. We went to restaurants and I went. This is all true. Jack Charlton turned up once Ireland had been knocked out. Now, of all, if anybody asked me and you haven't, who my favourite interviewee was, I would say Jack. Yeah, yeah. he is. Sometimes he doesn't mean to be. Other times he does. He's the most amusing person you could hope to meet. So he came over for the last week, and I met him in reception at the hotel. He goes. Great, but I can't do the accent. So, all right, Jack, this is it. What, you fancy a beer? He goes, no, no, I want to go shopping. These not words I want to hear. Oh, I want to go shopping. I said, well, we're in the middle of nowhere, mate. There's only one shop. That's Neiman Marcus over there. Well, we'll go there then. So, no, it's, it's seven stars. It's like Harrods on speed. We don't want to go. No, I want to go there. So, the first thing he does, he drops his bags off and we wander over to Neiman Marcus and we're going floor by floor and he's getting grumpier and grumpier and grumpier I said what's the matter with you he said, I can't find any said, find any what he said fishing tackle said, Jack you're not going to get fishing tackle here so he's really grumpy he said, well what are you looking for I said well I saw a tie back then that I really liked so well, why didn't you get it well it was 60 quid listen he said and he wagged his finger in my experience if you see something you like and you don't go for it and you miss that chance you're always going to regret it I said, you're right, Jack. You're right, let's go and get that tie. So he watched me hand over 60 quid in dollars for this tie. And he turns to me and said, are you happy now? I said, I am, Jack. Thanks very much. Good. That's the worst effing tie I've seen <laughs> in my life. So Jack Charlton then, did he become part of the ITV? Yeah, he, he was on the panel. With Jack, I went to see the Grassy Mole. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is that what he called it? The Grassy Mole. And 
<laughs> and then we went to see the OK Canal. <laughs> Um, well, I thought talking about the World Cup night four would be an absolute laugh riot before we go on to our next subject, which is uh, Bobby Moore in the 90s. You just recently made uh, the, the, the cinema feature Bobby, the documentary, which is brilliant. Um, I wondered if we could talk about Bobby Moore in the 90s because obviously he was a little bit neglected and didn't really get the kind of treatment that he possibly should have got as the World Cup winning captain of England. It is amazing, really. If you, it wouldn't happen today, but he would be Beckham today and and you know he'd have all the fame and fortune that came with it and I, I you know I've looked into this at length as to why he was overlooked I think there are a number of factors I think um, there were some big egos billowing around the FA at the time and sort of when he walked into a room those egos took a knock so they weren't too happy about that um, there were his associations with the East End um, but like I say if the craze come up to you and say we'd like our picture took with you you're not going to say no are you <laughs> so he had a bit of that and also I think he was probably a bit too nice and maybe a little too gullible in business so he, he you know people took advantage of him he went into commentary co-commentary as well didn't yeah, he did uh, that, one of the happiest times of uh, his post football career was doing that with Jonathan Pierce, who tells a great story in the film I mean, you have to go and see the film I can't do justice to it <laughs> but no they, they were great mates and uh, he would Pierce would be doing the work, he said. So he said to Pierce, so I'll drive. So he'd drive to Grimsby and Newcastle and Hull and they'd get 50 quid or whatever. But he just loved it because he was back in the game. Does he tell the story about Jonathan, Jonathan Pierce and more break down and thumb a lift with some fans home from a game? He doesn't tell that on the film. He tells the one about when uh, it's all kicking off after the uh, England-Germany semi-final. They're all fighting away in this beautiful Turin Plaza and uh, Pierso sees them all that and says, we'll go for a drink, we'll avoid all this. He goes, no, 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 Pierso, we'll be all right. We'll just walk along. And sure enough, they're fighting, they're kicking, what's it out of each other? And they see it's Bobby, it's Bobby Moore, it's Bobby Moore. And they sort of hold the German bloke by the neck and goes, all right, Bob, how's it going? <laughs> and then as he walks past... Um, so obviously when you first started out in journalism like early 90s the relationships between uh, journalists and players very different than I think Jim Rosenthal tells a story about buying the England 1990 squad uh, a birthday cake wasn't it like <laughs> yeah. one of the players I mean you must have stories about how amateurish it was or how close you could get to the players back then yeah well, I've got fond memories of that um, obviously West Ham that was my team I was working for the uh, Walthamstow Guardian although we used to call it the Guardian because you got more free tickets that <laughs> And uh, I knew players. I, I wandered up very nervously to uh, Alvin Martin. I gave him a few photographs that our photographer had, had given me to give to him. So I formed a relationship with him. You could then. I mean, they were earning... It wasn't quite in my dad's day when I think the reporters were earning more than the players. But they were that much more approachable. And John Lyle, the manager at the time, was just a gentleman. So I'd, I'd do the odd away game. And I remember we went to the Vetch Field, uh, got beat by Swansea, and it was all kicking off in the car park and there were bricks flying and goodness knows what else and I was looking out the window and, and Lyle came up to me and said uh, how are you getting home Matt and I went train <laughs> and he said no 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 you can come with us and I went on the coach oh, wow. which was just you know I was 21 at the time I was 21 going on 11 it was like yeah. schoolboy dream being with your mates and well, oh, with wow. your footballers and I remember they didn't have a loo on the coach so we had to pull in at a service station, then jog to the cars, and then jog back the entire squad and me. <laughs> what are those, you know, the, those 
post-match press conferences when the managers lost, how tense can they get? Did, like, I wouldn't have the bottle to ask tough questions in that situation. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's very difficult. And a lot of people don't have the bottle. Nowadays, it's easier because they have to do it and the, and the cameras are there. But I remember going to see, uh, we'd been done by Leeds. It was the time when Ian Wright had kicked the referee's door in. Was it 5-1? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was late into the room. And uh, it, was, it was the old stand, they were all packed under the eaves and they're all in there. And I come in and um, Harry goes, all right, Matt? I went, all right, Harry. And he's glowering. And he says, you got enough to laugh about tomorrow, have you? Because I was doing goals and I said, I ain't laughing. We do it every other week, don't you? And then from that moment, I think, this is my mate. But he had the hump and I got a force field. People, even though it was crowded, backed off. And there was a, about four to five feet free all the way around me because I obviously wasn't good to be around any other managers turn on you at various points no I'm too much of a wimp for that but that's the thing <laughs> I, I, I pity reporters and even radio reporters I mean, all you've got is a notebook that's not very intimidating if you've got a microphone they put you on edge but when you've got a camera and a light then people tend to be a lot more respectful yeah. and every football I've ever met they're all right. I, I, I don't know many wrong-uns, but they're all terrified of the wind-up. They live in a culture of, of being wound up. So even a simple question like, you played well today, and they go, what? <laughs> you know, they're trying to look for the, the double yeah. meaning. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite difficult interviewing. They get a bad press for not being bright. I think a lot of them are bright. It's just the culture and the way they're schooled, literally from school days. Well, I mean, it's easy for them to close down a question and just give a vanilla answer, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, some of them are quite adept at it. Yeah. Well, there were the classic during World Cup 94, not at a report so much, was Jack Charlton losing it on the touchline. Yeah, but with style. Yeah. With <laughs> st- <laughs> and a few water bottles. <laughs> yeah, did you cover that game? I mean, you must have seen the complaints I, I come rolling it, in. I about... watched it like you did on the telly from, you know, my Dallas bunker. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, Aldridge as well is captured on camera, isn't he? Like swearing, like, yeah. like 18 certificate. Did, did you like? Did you get in trouble for that? Was there? Did you... No, I didn't. Well, I might have been obliged to apologise. I can't remember. And that's the thing that uh, makes me laugh. You know, when a football, someone swears on the telly. If you don't nip in and say we're terribly sorry, there was some right language that you know we, we yeah. can't rely. If you don't do that, you, you're right in it. There have been people at Sky have lost their jobs over that for not apologising for what happens anyway. Did you ever think about apologising for the bunker? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it now. <laughs> yeah. we, we obviously, you talk about Des Lyon there. He was the, so he's the front man for the BBC's World Cup coverage at that point. You say Des is the greatest. Yeah. Jim Rosenthal said the same. Was it just well known that Des is kind of, you can't compete with this man? He is just a different level. Um, well, I, I would never have hoped to, to compete with him. I, you mm. know, when he said, I'm going to beat you, I, I said, yeah, you're right. You are going to. Um, I'm just in praise of somebody who can. Was he that charismatic? Yeah, and he was that relaxed, and he great sense of humour. I mean, I'm just a hero. Yeah, and a shame. But he went to ITV, and I comfort myself by saying that even he couldn't <laughs> rise above it. Is it because of the advert breaks? Does that make it more difficult? I think it's very difficult. I think that's something that I learnt and uh, actually got quite good at. Yeah, it's the combination of the breaks and the amount of time they have because they are a commercial outfit so they can't like Sky go on for hours afterwards. 
So yeah. you literally say that wasn't that a great game five three and we'll see you next week. <laughs> um, so and and counting to time it breaks everything up and they they give you a hard count. Yeah, and you literally have to finish on the zero or just before, which yeah. I I learned how to do, but some people struggle with that. <laughs> and do you have a situation with that where, for instance, because I didn't realise that that's the reason they don't go longer is because if you did half an hour's analysis afterwards, no one they think the adverts wouldn't be worth the money if you. Yeah, it's, it's all about the money. There was a, there was a famous I did the most important game I ever did was in Rotterdam when we lost to Holland and didn't make the 94 yeah. finals as, as a result and I had Trevor Francis It's some bugger has put it up there actually um, so you can find that on YouTube so it's Trevor Francis and Ray Wilkins and I'm saying to them before they Ray Wilkins was always there <coughs> he's always there <laughs> he's an ever present <laughs> and I said we've got 30 seconds literally I and mean, this is cataclysmic event <laughs> and we've got 30 seconds to sum this out and get out so I said Trevor alright Trevor said he gave me 25 and Wilkins had to scream in with, you know, 10 seconds, which he made 15, blah, blah, blah. blah. And I cut him off and said, sorry, Ray, we've got to go now. Um, so England are out, blah, 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 goodbye. And then the tape's still running and you say, uh, hear Ray say, um, sorry about that, but I just wanted to say that the sea should have been sent off. <laughs> Your reactions, Trevor Francis. Well, it's a sad night for English football, but I think the players have given Graham Taylor absolutely everything tonight. The game hinged on real two bits of class, I would say. The first one from Dennis uh, Birdcamp, then of course that tremendous free kick from Ronald Koeman. Quick word, right? Yeah, Ronald Koeman shouldn't even have been on the field. He should have been off the field. But that's how cruel this game is. He's gone straight up the other end and put him in front. That's football, I'm afraid. We've got more football coming up for you next week here on ITV. Have been beaten and are effectively out of the World Cup. The recriminations and inquests will no doubt follow. But from now on, it's good night, England from Holland. What was that night like? Oh, it was pretty tragic. But I think yeah. on reflection, it sort of summed up my World Cup ITV career. <laughs> <laughs> the writing was on the wall. Yeah. Were, you, were you in Rotterdam yeah. for that? Yeah. No, Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> so on that night, I, I, we rewatched recently the Graham Taylor documentary. And he comes out of it so well as such a good guy. And you look back on it as, you know... Did you feel for him at the time? Oh, not much. He was a, a lovely man. I mean, yeah. it's easy to say now he's gone, but I was, I was impressed by the outpouring that occurred after he died because he, he really got, you know, the, the praise he deserved. But I, I was there and I was quite close to him and he, he would go out of his way to help you. His dad was a journalist and he made the mistake, in my view, of trying to be helpful. And yeah. there were some people there, as you saw in the documentary, who weren't there to be helped. The same, yeah. the people who stood up and baited him and baited him and then wondered why he was annoyed with them the next day after they'd written this yeah. onion type stuff yeah and did you think that it was on that night did you think we're not going to do this this is inevitable no no this it would go wrong no I, I thought I, I had hopes at the time and I, I have to agree with Ray <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah. I did the the tour before then was England's tour of the USA and the first one was in Boston and we didn't go to that for some reason so it was Ron Atkinson and I in the studio uh, in, <laughs> in Waterloo where we might as well have been for the yeah. whole world well, second floor of the Texas Book Depository <laughs> store <laughs> with the director who was deaf which is not the best you know, I'm trying to tell him things and uh, halfway through the second half there was a lightning bolt in Boston and they lost all power and they came back to Ron and I eating oh cheese and God. cheese and pickle sandwiches God was trying to tell me something <laughs> 
Um, there's one standard question we ask every interviewee when we finish. If we could go and turn back the clock and go back to the 1st of January 1990, would you? Relive the 90s. Oh, that's a good question, isn't it? Probably not. Probably, no? Only because I'd probably go and make the same mistakes again. Oh, you uh, could go, let's not do this in a bunker in Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just go to the top floor where there's a view? Everything happens for yeah. a reason. Yeah. Karma, blah, blah, blah. I don't really yeah. know. I don't, to be honest, I couldn't be asked to go through it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best answer we've ever had. Yeah. That question. Matt Lorenzo, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Well, what's going on here? The John Aldridge wants to go on and the officials won't let him on. All right, that was Matt Lorenzo. I really enjoyed that. Great, great, great man. Really yeah, liked man. him. Such a nice man. Love Very him. charming. He had the charm that you could see would take you to that position. Yeah. Time for reviews. Let's fill up next week's opening title sequence. Just so you know, reviews we're looking for. If you put on our iTunes, if you give us a review and put in the name of a 90s person, Michael will drop one of them into the title sequence next week. If you give five stars, maybe it will help you get chosen. (laughs) Right, the first one. I haven't been so happy to discover something since I found out my cat Salem could talk. Great. Who's that, Josh? That's Sabrina the Teenage Witch. (laughs) Lovely stuff. Yeah. The second one. I loved Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I know. So much better than Clarissa Explains It All. Oh, absolutely. It's not even a contest. Don't even compare it. I don't even know what the format of Clarissa Explains It All was. What was she doing? Just being a teenager. Yeah. Here's the next one. This is so good that even Toadfish and Billy Kennedy have ditched the Aussie rules and signed up. (laughs) Susan and Carl listen in the ute on the way back from Queensland too. Keep up the good work, fellas. Love, Harold and Madge and Marge Bishop. Is it Madge or Madge? Madge. Is it always Madge? He says Marge. Oh, he does. Straight, straight disqualification. Wait. Straight disqualification. Interesting thing about that second one. Like most people say, oh, this was written by Sabrina Spellman, but have their real name in there. This guy has gone to the the effort of, of creating an iTunes account under the name of Harold and Madge Bishop. Oh, has he? <laughs> Fair like, play. So, they're like really committed to the role. It could be Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> A couple of heavyweights this week. I thought there was no way Sabrina was getting beat, but put them both in. I love it when you do that. Oh, it's so much work. <laughs> okay. They both win. It's a, yes! it's a tie. All right. Finally, the quiz. Right. So... Listeners to previous episodes will know that we are doing, currently, but not for much longer, a run of 90s TV quiz show formats. And the winner of this between Chris and Josh gets to pick the song that plays out at the end of the show. Last week we had Countdown. This week we have got Blockbusters. Oh yes, please. So, if you're not familiar with the format of Blockbusters, I'm not going to explain it. <laughs> Go on YouTube, watch a clip. You'll We're know. not doing a full board, are we? We're not doing a full board. It is a best of three yeah. Blockbuster scenario. and Oh my God. <laughs> he's only got... He's on he... eBay. Oh, my God. We've got the Quaintly Kevin Blockbuster board Michael's presented to us. So for the listeners at home, we have got a classic blockbuster board and it spells out quickly, Kevin. The players will have to pick a letter from that board and then answer a question based on 
that letter. Chris, you're up first. Q, please. Okay, ready? Yeah. Which Q is an English centre forward Josh has buzzed in? I've had a nightmare. I know, you were thinking of Niall Quinn, weren't you? No, I was thinking of Queen's Park Rangers. I panicked, I tried to think of a Q, and it was an error. Incorrect. So, Chris, you get to hear the whole question. Which Q is an English centre-forward whose autobiography was called Who Ate All the Pies? And in the 90s, enjoyed two seasons at Newcastle before joining Coventry for his most prolific spell. Mickey Quinn. Correct. Yes! 1-0. 1-0. Chris, an error. you get to pick the letter again. Oh, no. Uh, I'll have a C, please, Bob slash Michael. Which C is the surname of the player with the most Premier League goals never to have won an international cap? In the 90s, he played mostly for Nottingham Forest and then Everton. For whom? Josh. Kevin Campbell. Correct. Oh. Scores. One one all. all. Oh. This is the decider. Josh, choose your letter. K. Here's your question. Which K is the only player in history to have scored in the Manchester, Merseyside and Glasgow derbies? Josh. Andre Kanchowskis. Correct. No! <laughs> yes. Josh wins. Oh, delighted. You're in the lead now. I am. Yeah. I'm absolutely you delighted. Three one up, wasn't I? So Josh oh. is in the lead four three, and he gets to choose which song plays out the show. Josh, over to you. Tasman Archer's Sleeping Satellite, please. Oh, one of my favourite songs. Lovely. Well, enjoy it. Win 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 win. <laughs> I'm glad I lost. Thank you for listening, guys. We are back next week with Matt Ford. Cheers. Bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.